Hey guys, welcome to the Church Scattered podcast again. Uh, welcome Dan Greer, one of the founders of Church Scattered, and we are a movement, we are a network, a community uh, of folks, business leaders, uh, leaders in the home and leaders in the church that want to make a difference and want to follow Jesus completely, completely with our whole lives. And we want to do that in the context that God has placed us in, and that is the 21st century. And Dan, in order to do that, we believe that the church has to scatter just as well as it gathers. And we want both to be important, but we understand, and you've written an incredible book on it that is available right now, uh, that in order for us to do this right, we're going to have to prioritize the church scattered in a way that we never have before. And so we're going to dive in today. What we're doing, if you're new to the podcast, you may want to go, after you listen to this one, uh, you may want to go back and check out the other three because we're going chapter by chapter through the book. The book is Church Scattered, and we're going to be taking a look at chapter four today entitled The Great Omission, and we're just going to dive right into that. Dan, when you say a provocative statement like that, when you title a chapter The Great Omission, mission. You have to know that you have fully inserted the spoon into the pot and begun to stir it. So what do you mean by that? What do you mean by the great omission? Well, I think uh, this chapter, Chris, more than any other really is a pivot point for the book because uh, it's all about really uh, restoring Christ's preeminence, uh, both in our lives as individual Christians and in the church as well. And so uh, it, it's really uh, the pivot point to me. The first three chapters are about disruption, uh, disruption, uh, you know, in, in global uh, economies and how that impacts work and faith and disruption in the culture. We talked about that quite a bit. And boy, we're seeing that even more now. And then right, right. the church has been uh, disrupted, uh, you know, for a long time, but nothing like the last three months. And so, uh, chapter four uh, becomes the pivot of the book. It's the big key issue. And quite okay. honestly, if you embrace chapter four, uh, the rest of the book will line up for you. Uh, if for whatever reason you don't think it's that big of a deal, uh, then probably the book will not fit together for you. And so it, it is really about uh, everything that we've said. We, we've talked about you know who we are. We're Christian leaders. We've talked about what is our purpose in life? And that is to know him and make him known. Uh, you know, why do we do that? We talk about that in this chapter. We're, we're grateful for grace. And we right. talk quite a bit about grace and how we do right. that. Uh, there are a lot of different ways. But the, the payoff for this uh, chapter, uh, to answer your question, is that I have come to the conviction that the reason the, the Great Commission uh, is failing is that we have undervalued the Great Commandment. And by undervaluing loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourself, uh, again, it's not an either or, it's just a matter of prioritization. And we've got to get Christ uh, back to the number one reason why we do everything that we do. Well, I love that, and and so when I think about the book, uh, of course, I, I I was a part of the book and and have read it a whole bunch of times now, and and I think chapter four to me is where the gospel takes center stage more than any other chapter in the book. I mean, 
Uh, it, it's amazing how how we get so gospel centric here, and I find it very powerful when we, when we begin to talk about the movement in the church that begin to use language like lordship salvation and and you know hey you, if you you know accept Jesus as savior, but then you're going to have to figure out a way to make him lord. And so you make a, an argument in the book. I think it's a provocative one. I think it's also a biblical one, though, Dan. That hey, that's not possible. You can't separate those two things. So uh, as we dive into that, because I think many of us are, are involved in ministry at some level, but even if you're if you're a Christian and you're a dad or a mom in your home, you're a business leader. This this chapter is for all of us to really sink our teeth into, to really understand the gospel. And I think the beauty of the gospel, to have joy in the gospel, is to know what he's done for us. So you you kind of get personal in this chapter, Dan. You talk a little about your childhood growing up uh, without a mom in the home and, and your dad really not being affectionate with you. And so that, of course, shaped as all of our right context and past shaped the way we see God. And you had this idea, and it was a morality idea. That's what I got out of the chapter, that you would stand before God one day, you believed in God, and that he would audit your life. I love the term you used. And that he would go, did you do more good than you did bad? And so then, obviously, you were presented with the gospel as a young man, what did it do for you when you realized the scorecard of heaven does not work like man's scorecard and the gospel is more glorious and more beautiful than you ever imagined? Well, uh, when you realize that it's based on grace and not performance, uh, that it's unconditional rather than conditional, that, uh, you know, so many images in the Bible of, you know, the father waiting on the prodigal son to come home and embracing right. him and, throwing a party because he's so happy that he's back. I mean, all of that was very moving to me. And, uh, and so even, even as a young Christian, are you saying, Dan, it it grabbed you? Well, really as a, as a lost person, because, uh, it it was inconceivable to me because of my life experience, uh, that anyone would love me period, you know, to the degree that, that scripture talks about, but to do it unconditionally, again, my, my old scorecard was good versus bad, And when I finally realized that, you know, uh, it was solely based on what Christ had done for me, not what I do for him, then that was a pivot point to me. Uh, And during this time, uh, as you said, uh, there was a lot going on. Uh, You're much too young to uh, know anything about this old history. But uh, in the 60s and 70s, there was a uh, a real uh, deeper life movement. Uh, highly experiential. Uh, The charismatic movement was in full swing. Mm -hmm. And so Baptist Mm -hmm. churches and Presbyterian churches and Methodist churches, and everybody was having to deal with, you know, how do I uh, really, you know, uh, become the best Christian I possibly can? And so that began to be communicated that, hey, uh, you know, there's a second decision to be made. Uh, the first decision was that you were trusting Christ and his death on the cross for your forgiveness. And okay. most Christians say, I've got that one. I'm good there. And then they said, okay, there is Which a Which you'd second. label a Savior, right? And that yes. here's Jesus as Savior. That's correct. And, okay. uh, and they framed the whole thing up, and books were written about this. Uh, uh, and they compared it to the, the Jews in Egypt. Uh, Egypt was representative of a lost person. Uh, right. Then the Jews slavery in the to sin, slavery to Egypt, right? That's correct. And then okay. the Jews in the wilderness, they were compared to these people that were saved, but yet 
made Jesus Lord of their life. That was Canaan. Gotcha. That was the promised gotcha. land. So okay. the whole thing was pitched as, okay, you're saved and you've got that one done, but now you need to make a second decision to make Christ the Lord of your life. And so okay. uh, most Christians literally were struggling with this. And wow. uh, if you were in the, the charismatic side of it, you would say, well, gee, the way you know that's happened is there, there you know, gifts Evidence. that are going to be demonstrated. Absolutely. Right. And so it was very confusing for most Christians. And so I was working myself through it biblically. I was beginning to really read for myself. And as you said, I was growing then as a Christian. And I finally came to realize that uh, that was biblically not solid at all, because Hebrews 4 basically says the reason uh, the folks got stuck in the wilderness is they didn't trust God by faith. Uh, all they really wanted was out of Egypt. And so right. uh, they didn't represent a Christian who was not totally surrendered. And so the reality set in that, you know, the reason we can't make Jesus Lord is he already is. Uh, and you can either deny that, you can surrender right. to it, but you cannot change it. Okay. Uh, and it's such a big deal with the Father. One day, the Bible says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that literal fact that Jesus He's Christ Lord. is Lord. So it is a huge issue. And so finally for me, when I really embraced that, uh, I had to acknowledge why I was struggling. The reason I was struggling was really just pride. Uh, Because, you know, gee, I can't do anything about heaven. Uh, I get that. But, you know, I think I can handle Monday through Saturday. And so, you know, I I needed God from time to time. I wanted to be able to pray when I got in a jam. If I got sick, I wanted him to heal me. But for the most part, I pretty much can handle the rest of it. And uh, that really began to convict me because Hmm. that's what led to this segment in life we talk about in in Church Scattered, that faith is a Sunday thing, not a Monday thing. And we can trust God for eternity, but he can't be trusted for today. Right, and And you call this a segmentation of our lives, which we would say at Church Scattered is a dangerous segmentation. It is, because right. uh, at that particular point in time, you know, the Christian life was designed to be lived 100% all in. And so totally. if we don't go 100% all in, if Jesus is not Lord, if, uh, if we're only 80% in or we're, we're 50% or whatever, that means the other 20% we own. We're the Lord. We're the ones making the, the final decision. And uh, again, you know, that's not how Christianity was set up. And I love the, the old C.S. Lewis quote, which, uh, you know, everybody hears, you know, if, if Christianity is false, it's right, of right. no importance. If it's true, it's of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. Right, right. And what we're saying in church scattered in this chapter is Jesus Christ for every Christian cannot be moderately important. Yes. You either got to go all in or you might as well, you know, uh, live like you're all out because he is Lord and he deserves uh, preeminence. He deserves our our gratitude. He deserves our followership. Uh, And again, when we as the church and church leaders put him at the top uh, and the great commandment at the top, I think the great commission will take care of itself. Yeah, that's good. Uh, So, Let's let's push on this a little bit. Let's drill down into the theology of this a bit. So, what what do you say to a person? Because I think there's so much uh, validity to what we're talking about. But I know this: when I became a Christian at 12 years old, I was at a church camp in a little town of Kosciuszko, Mississippi. Gave my life to Jesus. 
But I feel like uh, from 12 to now 42, all these years that I've been walking with Jesus, I feel like I'm far more sold out, Dan, to him now, obviously, than I was then. I didn't know what all in meant. What I knew all in meant at that point was I believe in Jesus. I want him to save me and cover me. I knew I was a sinner. All of the ingredients of a lost person crying out to Jesus. I had all of that in that that night at that camp. But I, but I, you know, I still was a twelve-year-old about to be thirteen-year-old, and, and my goodness, the journey. So, what what do you say to the person listening to this that that goes, man, I I think I'm all I want to be all in, but some days I don't feel like I'm all in. And and for me, Dan, what what I come back to is the gospel, the fact that we are all in a process. We are works in progress, and so what I look for is not a perfect you know, showroom finished uh, car here that's been built. I am totally under construction still. And and so my passage into eternal life is not based on where I am in the process. It's based on the gospel. It's based on the finished work of Christ, which is an awesome gospel truth. Uh, but so so how do we how do we split those hairs? I guess in a way that someone says, I get what you're saying about all in, but on the other hand, we're not saying that you got to have your act together for Jesus to save you, you're still going to struggle. How do you how do you marry those ideas, Dan? Well, I love, Chris, what Dr. Rogers used to say, and I think it's appropriate regardless of how long you've been a Christian. But uh, really, uh, where we are is we should uh, give all that we uh, have of ourselves to all that we know of him. Mm-hmm. And when we come to Christ, uh, okay. all we know of him is Savior. And we know that he that's died good. on the cross and rose from the grave for us. And that's all we need to know at that particular point right. in time. And so uh, almost all Christians get redeeming grace. And uh, and then we're introduced to this journey, the process we talk about in this chapter, of being conformed to the image of Christ. And right. that is really refining grace. And that's where the Father has made us a promise that he's going to conform us to the image of Christ. He's going to get us all the way through this journey because it's it's unconditional. Uh, that's why we can have eternal security. And so what begins to happen then, uh, where, where we start pressing up against it a little bit, is not at the beginning that we've got to have it all figured out, but as we grow, how are we responding to God's grace in our life? Good. And refining grace is a process of revealing more to us about the Father and revealing more to us about Christ and the Holy Spirit and uh, the fruit of the Spirit and how we're to put off the old man and put on the new. And so we begin right. this journey. And uh, I think the, the, the part that we have to understand is the Refining grace is is about protecting us from sin, and it's about guarding our gospel witness. So mm-hmm. the Father okay. is refining us for our own good uh, right. because sin is painful. And He's not doing this for He's not doing this to save us. He's doing this from We've been saved in Jesus, and now the work begins. Right, this refining yes. grace. So amazing grace is the redeeming grace that we've all received uh, through the cross and blood of Jesus. But you're saying then this thing, refining grace. Would you would you equate that, Dan, theologically with the with the process of sanctification? Would you yes. say same same thing? Absolutely, it's identically gotcha. the same thing. And uh, okay. the, the the thing in the book is uh, it's interesting though, and this gets to. This idea of, okay, am I 80% in? Am I 90% in? All in or whatever. And Jesus is uh, eating with this Pharisee, and this very sinful woman comes in in Luke and watches his feet and 
Pharisee gets really upset. And so Jesus says, well, let me tell you a story. And, and the story is about uh, an individual. And he had two people that owed him. Uh, one person owed a very small sum of money and one person owed a very large sum of money. Uh, and the man forgave them both. And then he turns to the Pharisee and says, which one of those two people do you think is the most grateful? And the Pharisee gets it. We all get it. Well, the one that was forgiven the most. And Jesus pivots that, and these are his words. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little in return. And so what begins to happen here, while we hesitate, while we don't go all in, while we don't sign that blank check, is we really don't see ourselves in need of that much grace. And so- wow. We, we love little because we've been forgiven little. And, uh, you know, our appreciation for God is in direct relationship to our awareness of our need for him. Mm. And so that gets us to a point of, whoa, wait a minute. You know, I've, I've got to, to understand at this particular point in time that, that if, if there's something uh, in me that causes me to, to not appreciate his grace to the degree that I need to, whether right. it's, uh, again, redeeming grace or refining grace. Or refining, and I've, yep. I've got to look under the hood here. And, uh, and that's literally where I was. I was, I was wow. there intellectually, but I wasn't quite there emotionally. So okay. if, if I ran into a little bump like COVID-19, you know, then I was all over the place. You know, Blow the doors afraid, off of your faith, again, right? You right. know, acting like a lost person. And so yep. what uh, I share in the book, uh, what, what, got me to a point of no return was understanding restraining grace. Okay. And restraining grace. So right grace, now we've done, we've done redeeming grace, amazing redeeming grace. And then we've got the idea of refining grace. That's grace God's talks. process that he's taken us all through. But right. now you call this next one restraining grace. Right. Very powerful. And that's where the gratitude comes in because restraining grace is basically God uh, protecting us from evil and restraining mm. evil in the world. And we never see it. We're never quite right. aware of it. We, we, right. we don't appreciate it at all. And so if you go back into, you know, we talk about disruption a lot. Well, right. gee, the flood was a pretty big disruption. Uh, literally in that chapter in Genesis, uh, the key phraseology there is, my spirit will not always strive with man. Wow. And, and that's restraining grace. That is, a, that is a devastating statement, isn't it? It is, wow. and it's like grieving the Holy Spirit or quenching the Holy Spirit times a thousand. And yep. so what happened in Genesis is the father pulled his restraining grace back, and, and one of the saddest commentaries uh, in all the scripture is it says, the thoughts and intents of everyone's heart was only evil continually. Wow. And that's scary. And so we think about, well, you know, how does that have to do with where we are today? Well, it has everything to do with what we're going through Absolutely. today because it literally says in Thessalonians that, you know, at some point in time, uh, he that is restraining will be taken out of the way and the lawless one will be, will be revealed, uh, talking about, you know, the end times. And so when I look at people, Chris, uh, jumping all over a car, uh, breaking windows and dragging right. people. Anarchy, and just anarchy. anarchy. Exactly. What that says to me biblically as a Christian in my biblical worldview, that right. is a picture of grace being restrained. 
And when that grace has been restrained, those people are allowed to literally, you know, do whatever in their fallen humanity wants them to do at that particular point in time. So you take that picture again yeah. and just pull the restraining grace of God out of the world mm-hmm. completely. Right. Right. Then it's easy to see how the things in the New Testament that Jesus talked about, last days, end times, all right. of that can happen. I mean, we're literally seeing sure. it every day. And so when we appreciate restraining grace, what it does to us personally is, I realize now this, and this is where I got to a point of spiritual brokenness. My love for Christ is not based on the amount of sin that I have committed and been forgiven for. And mine is probably 10 times more than yours. Because again, I love little because I've been forgiven little. My, My love for Christ is based on the sin I could have committed apart from his restraining grace in my life. Wow, that's really and good, man. At that point in time, there, there's you may want to let everyone time. you may want to let everyone listening to the podcast catch their breath right there. Yeah. Well, that's I'm a power guy, statement. Yeah, I'm the guy jumping on the car. Yeah. I'm the but guy. But we all are. Do. I think that's the point yes, there, Dan. You know, is. you look at the apostle Paul and I, I've always found it amazing that you know, we all understand those of us who understand the New Testament, the brilliance of Paul uh, the intensity, the spiritual intensity of Paul. But Paul, and I think he meant it, I think he believed deeply when he would say, of the sinners, I'm chief, the greatest yes, right. of sinners. Yes. I think he got what you're talking about here. I, I think he did, and, and I wouldn't you know, obviously make any comparisons there, but what I got was is that uh, apart from his grace, right. redeeming, refining, and restraining, uh, I, I would be hopeless, lost, and undone. Mm-hmm. And so what it takes is, to your point earlier, as you spiritually mature, you begin right. to go a little bit deeper in awareness of just how loved you are. And when mm-hmm. you realize that there is no telling on any given day how much protection divinely I have had, so how good. much restraining grace has, has kept me from doing the wrong thing or someone yeah. doing the wrong thing to me. Now I'm like the woman washing Jesus' feet. I love a lot because I've been forgiven a lot. I love a lot because I've received right, a lot right. of grace. It pushes you into a place of gratitude. Even just us discussing yes. it right now, I can't help but as we talk about this, to become grateful, like literally, I am personally in a place of just gratitude, just thinking about the greatness yes. of Jesus. You know, it's interesting. You talk about the evil we're not even aware of. I, I love the Lord's prayers. We all do. And and when I look at Jesus told us in the Lord's prayer to pray for God to not deliver us into evil, right, and to keep us from temptation. And And I think even in the way he taught us to pray, he was helping us understand, guys, you're so clueless to what you could fall into, to what's all around. You know, Paul called the the times we live in the evil day. And it's not to be afraid of, but to be aware of that. And and I love one of my heroes, Tim Keller, who, by the way, we at Church Scatter love and appreciate his work. And he's fighting cancer right now, so our prayers are with Tim Keller. But he he said in his book on prayer that just blew me away, he said, when you pray and ask forgiveness, you need to pray for everything you know about that's sinful in your life. But he said, then just ask God to forgive you of all the things that you're not even aware of. Yes. The the cracks in your heart that he sees that you are just totally oblivious to. I think there's a lot of truth in that, Dan. Well, there's no doubt, uh, Chris. And I probably blew by it the first 20 times I read it. And when I finally got to restraining grace and understood it, it hit me like a ton of bricks when Jesus said to Peter, Peter, 
Satan has desired to mm. sift you like wheat, but I right. have prayed for you. Mm. And, and I insert my name in there. You know, the spiritual warfare that, that could have occurred, that could have damaged me, could have taken me yeah. down in a heartbeat with a temptation that I could not or would not have resisted, right, that right. Jesus has prayed for me and the Holy Spirit is restraining evil from right, me. Right. And so it just blows me away. And that's why, again, you know, we, we love deeply uh, because we've been forgiven much. And when we line that up, our gratitude for grace grows, which is our motivation for the Christian life, quite honestly. That's good. And I, I, so, so at the end of the day, what we're we're not trying to make true believers fear or doubt their salvation in this chapter. We're really wanting to to get them to a place where they understand the process God is taking them through, and 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 lean into that, right? And to, yeah, to really a- grab absolutely. onto it. And uh, and and this is just another uh, you know part of the journey and the process in the book. When I really began to start growing spiritually, uh, it felt like I was going in the wrong direction because I kept seeing more stuff that I needed to change. And so it was mm. like it was getting worse and not better. Oh, but there, uh, and even chastening, you know, when you really uh, have resisted uh, the discipline, the discipline doing of God, what you right? need to do. That's correct. Then, you know, but for me now, uh, when you are under conviction and when you realize things are not the way they should be, that actually is the greatest evidence of your salvation. When you Correct. can live in sin and not bother you, you better That's be right. worried. Uh, so all of this, uh, quote, you know, uh, sense of it's not quite right yet. I'm not quite there yet. That's what Paul yeah. said. You know, I'm forgetting those things which are behind. I'm reaching ahead. I'm, I'm not yet attained, but I, I'm following mm. after Christ. And so good. Uh, once we keep that framework, we're, we're good to keep moving forward and we're guaranteed right. how it's all going to end up in the end. Yeah, you know, Dan, uh, we at my house, and you, uh, uh, you've been to my house, so we have uh, this huge pecan tree in my backyard. And I had an arborist come and look at it, and he said that it's the largest and oldest pecan tree he's personally ever seen. He wow. pegged it at being 100 years old. Okay, that's a really old pecan tree. And we live in coastal Alabama where incredible hurricanes have come through, and pecan trees are not actually known for handling hurricanes very well. They're not like oak trees. But this thing is massive and it's beautiful. And every year, he told me at this age, it could die. The tree could just die one year. So every year when, when it's really bare, I'm just watching when other trees, the leaves are popping out, I'm watching. And let me tell you a phrase this arborist told me one day in my backyard. He said, if you see one green leaf pop out on one of those limbs, that tree's still alive. Yeah, Look for that one great. leaf, right? Okay. And I just remember thinking, that's it. That's yep. it. That's what right. we're looking for. So so as we look into this grace and and, and, and we're talking about the grace, let's talk about the, the idea of segmentation in our lives. Because if we're not careful... Uh, and and I, th- I find this very interesting because I, I grew up in a works based kind of leaning denomination a bit, and and you know I felt like they got me to the cross on the front end of the cross, but on the back side of the cross I felt like it got a little wonky then. And it's like you got to work really hard to keep what Jesus has paid for, and that can really mess with your mind, right? So, uh, and and what was interesting to me is the more I leaned into works based salvation religion, actually the more I failed, the more segmented I became. 
so help, help the listeners understand why that segmentation, that lack of a holistic walk with Jesus in your life can be so dangerous, not only to you personally, but like for me as a dad, I, I'm, I'm always wondering, do my kids see me living out the Christianity I profess? You know, because they're watching. And then I realize on a ball field, I'm, I'm around a lot of people who don't know Jesus. Do they see Jesus in me? And I think that's why it's so dangerous, Dan, that if we have a Sunday-centric Christianity, then we're going to have a very ineffective Christianity. Would you agree with that? I, I do. And, and again, the process uh, causes us to have to literally die to any any form, to, to your point, of performance-based religion. Because that was the whole problem with Job's friends. They thought, you know, okay. all this has happened to you because you obviously have done something wrong. And mm-hmm. Job, you know, wouldn't believe it. And so we have this little bit of performance-based theology left in us, even if we're a mature believer. And uh, all that simply means is, hey, you know, if I do good things for God, he's going to do good things for me. And uh, if I mess up, then that's why things are not the way they should be. And so that's not grace-based. Grace-based right. says this. Uh, you can read your Bible, you know, all the way through every day. You can pray, you know, five hours a day. Uh, it doesn't matter how many good things you do. Uh, you will never be more loved than you are right this moment, the Love. very moment you became a child of God. And so, you know, you, you cannot earn it. There's nothing right. you can do to gain any more than you already have. Now, for me, the flip side of that, which is incredibly encouraging, is no matter how bad you blow it, uh, no matter how disobedient you have become, uh, there's nothing you can do to lose it. So mm-hmm. when, when you come to the awareness that I can't gain any more because I have all there is, I can't lose any of it because it's not dependent upon me at all. Right. And at that particular point in time, again, you, you rest in the grip of grace, as the scripture says. You're held right. in the grip of grace and and nothing or no one can take you out of that grip of grace. And so uh, what we talk about even in marriage last time on our Facebook Live is that yeah. Yeah. our significance and security is totally in the Father's grace. And yeah. so at that particular point in time, we don't have to earn anything. We don't have to hold on to anything. And the, the beauty of that is uh, I am free to risk it all That's right. But I can't, because I cannot lose anything. That's so, so good. at that point, I can lean into the That's Christian so good. Life. I'm going to force you to say it again. Make that yeah, statement well, I, again. I, can't, I don't even know that I can or if I've ever said it before, I'll ever say it again. I love but it. When, when you come to the awareness that you know, you, you, you're free to risk everything because it's impossible to lose anything. Man. And at that point yeah, in time, you, know, you can you know, sign that blank check. You can go right. all in. Because, Put your yes you know, on the uh, table, right? Yeah, let's be honest. You know, we 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 get through redeeming grace. We're no longer afraid of what God's going to do to us at judgment. Okay, but as we struggle through this process of refining grace, we're still not quite all in because, quite honestly, if we want to really put all the cards on the table, we're afraid if we go one hundred percent all in, we're not afraid of what He'll do to us anymore. We're afraid of what He'll do with us. Yeah, that's right. You know, what, what is he going to ask what me he'll to do? T- what where he'll take he from ask, us. Yeah, what are we going to lose in this? Where is he going to ask me to go? You know, that's right. And back that's in my right. day, you could get scared to death by you know missionaries talking about Africa, and so yep. you would think, whoa, 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 that's that's, right. a, that's a bridge too far. You know, I'm right. good uh, just to stay here in Alabama, but yeah, the the idea though of all of this uh, and, and awareness of his presence living within us. 
that just creates this overwhelming sense of gratitude. And, uh, you know, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which, uh, you know, we talk about in this chapter yes, uh, we for do. years, literally for years. Uh, the only way that I ever heard it preached and the only way that I ever heard it taught was to challenge me not to be the two guys that walked by on the other side. Sure. That if I was going to be a good neighbor, that I needed to stop. Okay. Right. right. Well, that never got me to stop. I'm sorry. It was just kind of a performance based. Wait a minute. Are, are you are you trying to say, Dan, that guilt is actually not a great motivator? Uh, it's not a great motivator at all when someone's understanding grace. And That's so exactly right. where I finally yep. and then you know you you see the 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 good Samaritan and gosh we we uh, enjoy the value of that character and it so represents Christ and all that he did. However, the the payoff for the Christian in the story of the good Samaritan is when you finally see yourself as the person in the ditch. Yep. And when you see yourself as the person in the ditch, then at that particular point in time, you realize that Christ stopped for you uh, and he poured his grace into your life, paid your debt, uh, promised to come back and take any care of anything else that you needed down the road. So I love this discussion, Dan, we're having about the dangers of living a segmented Christian life. And I think that brings us to a place in chapter four, one of my favorite parts of it is the idea of the holy temples. Let, let's talk about that for a minute. And the idea here is that when we become Christians, we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And, and by the way, that's not a secondary thing that happens later on. Like the moment we become Christians, we are sealed with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's an unbelievable result of what Jesus did for us through the gospel. So now what that means is, though, not only do we have God's general presence around us at all times, He's everywhere at once, but now God is, is not even just with us, He's in us. And the Bible says mysteriously but powerfully that we're in Christ and Christ is in us. But there are implications of that amazing truth, right, Dan, to our lives. And, and what are those implications? Well, I, I think as in everything else we talked about today, Chris, over time, uh, we learn more. Over time, uh, there's more revealed to us about what this really means and why it's really important. And, uh, you know, quite honestly, uh, it took me a while to, to really understand fully that the creator of the universe lives within me uh, right. and we do everything together. And, you know, I had to ask myself again, you know, well, why, you know, what was, what's the, the point? And obviously the imagery, when you go back to the Old Testament and, and how Jews had access to God and how limited it was, and now we have full, complete access and, you know, the Holy Spirit even indwells us. And so the idea of becoming a temple began to be something that I began to understand and I began to develop. Right. And I think the why of it, again, goes back to what we've already talked about. It, it, it's for developing a, an intimate, deep, personal relationship with me. And it's also for empowering me to be that gospel witness that I need to be. Right. Uh, and, you know, we, we use a couple of, of uh, texts in this chapter. Uh, Galatians 4 is one. Uh, and Galatians 4 is that Abba Father passage where it literally right, right. says, you know, we've been adopted and uh, we don't have to call God God. We we could right. even go beyond calling him Father. We can call him Daddy. Daddy. And, yep. and that's the depth of that intimacy. And a That lot would have been stunning say, to that original audience, right, Dan? It would have blown them out of their seats to hear absolutely. that. Absolutely. But I find it today, it's interesting, when I teach this passage or talk about it, even to Christians in the 21st century, it's awkward. 
Still uh, blows us away, doesn't it? When you ask them to, you know, why don't you start a prayer by saying, hey, daddy, uh, you know, I need to talk to you about something. It's Mm -hmm. like, I can't talk to him like that. And I say, well, sure you can. He invited you to do it. And uh, the reality about spiritual maturity, though, is that passage says we were slaves. That's before redeeming grace. We've been adopted as sons and daughters, and we should live like it. However, if we're still children, if we're still spiritually immature, if we're still like servants, then the reality is when we could be living 100% all in like a son or daughter, we're still living like a slave. Uh, Mm -hmm. And the tragedy of that is, is it does lead to segmentation. It does lead to, okay, he's got parts of my life. I've got parts of my life. Right. And then the watching world, instead of seeing a son and daughter who's been adopted uh, and is living out grace every day, secure right. and significant, they see this performance-based, segmented person who says mm-hmm. they're a Christian, but gosh, they really don't act like it. And so the idea, again, that we are holy temples and dwelt by the Spirit, and uh, as time went on, uh, I really began to zero in on this. and It became very personal to me. Uh, and I grew up in a day where, rightly so, when you came to church on Sunday, you entered the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And I promise you, back in that day, that meant certain things. It, it has right. a lot to do with how you dressed. Yes. Uh, you weren't too loud. Uh, you were reverent. Uh, you were respectful. Uh, and there's an appropriate part of that in oh, of our course. coming to worship yeah. God. But yeah. The, yeah. The, the whole concept, though, reinforced that problem we talk about in the book, that uh, Christianity is more about a holy place than it is about a holy people. Well, when I, I finally began to really see that, I had to say to myself, okay, wait a minute now. What, what about when I live out my life in the church scattered. I mean, the Holy right. Spirit that's in me in this room is the Holy Spirit that's going with me when I walk out the door. And so Huge. what I began to to do, and uh, you and I have laughed about this and, and joked about it, but when I'm preaching about this subject, uh, just to make a point, and, and obviously right. it, it creates quite a controversy in the room, I say that you know, we're really not being that effective in reaching three generations. We need to be more progressive. We need to right. to be willing to change our methods. And, you know, why don't we just, uh, instead of serving coffee, uh, let's just serve, you know, wine and beer on Sunday morning. And right. uh, why don't we show clips from, you know, an R-rated movie that's got right. sexually explicit content. And about that's that not going to go over. Yeah. I feel somebody pulling me, you know, off right. the platform and right. it's time for me to go home. And, uh, so once they've got adequately infuriated at me, then I'll yes. make the pivot. And I'll basically say, all right, I know how much that upsets you because you feel like we're desecrating this holy right. place. But right. what is the difference between you feeling bad about doing that in this room and yet you don't feel the same way about doing it in your home mm. or with your yeah. friends? Right. So the reality is if, if something is sinful in this room, it is sinful every day, everywhere. Mm-hmm. Because just think about it. Uh, the, the reality is we all struggle with this. But, uh, hey, man, you know, would you want to show on the big screens on Sunday morning, uh, you know, the YouTube uh, Netflix videos you're watching during the week? And somebody right. would say, oh, no, you know, I would never want everybody to see that. I would be embarrassed. It's over the line. You know, it's, it's pornography. And then I would say to them, well, if, if you have all those feelings because of, of being in this room, 
why don't you have those same feelings about it, how it grieves the Holy Spirit to have to watch yeah. all of that with you in your room at night? And, and so it's a he, theological issue. At the end of the day, it, it really does come down to what do you believe? Do you really believe the Spirit right. of God is in you? Yes. And the truth is, at the end of the day, as much as we want to say we are uh, you know, orthodox Christians, we believe this stuff, our life, when it's segmented like that, is telling a different story, right? Yeah, if we have a if we have a different view of holiness on Sunday than we do on Monday, something is wrong. Something and is wrong. Yes. What I have learned is this, Chris, and this is theological, but I believe it. Uh, it's impossible to sin alone. Mm. One of the great lies is that if you do it in private and nobody else knows you're good, that's impossible. Wow. That's because impossible. Because the Holy the Holy Spirit that lives within you is there. And so eyes of, you, eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, right? Exactly. And so this whole concept of we do everything together is not a, oh, no, he's going to see it all. He already does. It's, yeah, oh, right. wow, we get to do life together. So when I go into Huge. that meeting that's got a little pressure and I'm not real sure how I'm going to handle it, there are two of us in the seat. Uh, when I'm dealing with my teenage son about an issue, you know, there are two of us in that seat. And so the, the idea of being a temple, and, and it goes back again to the intimacy, and oh, by the way, it also is our gospel witness, because when, when right. Jesus in John chapter 17, to me, the most intimate chapter in the Bible about his conversation with the Father, and he starts saying things like this, okay, Father, I'm getting ready to come home, and then I love yeah. this part because of church scattered theology, I have finished the work that you have given me to do. So, you know, merging work and faith. And then he makes this statement. He says, Father, the, the work that you have given me, I now have given them. Wow. And e even as you have sent me, I am now sending them. So now the same thing. And then he says, here's the reason. There's two reasons why. Number one, he, he says, I want them to be with us. And I want them to be with you and me like I'm with you and you're with me. I mean, it's just inconceivable mm -hmm that oh, yeah. he would pray that we would be as intimate with each of them as they are with each other. And then he makes his statement, he drops the bomb, so that the world may know you. That's mm -hmm. the gospel witness part. So the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is to develop our spiritual intimacy with the Father and to empower us to represent the Father to the world and be the people of God instead of Christianity being framed up as a place where people go. That's great. I remember growing up, well, there was this huge, huge pop song. It was called God is Watching Us. I can't remember the artist, but it was this huge song. And I remember the, the chorus said, God is watching us, God is watching us. And then the landing phrase was, God is watching us from a distance. And that is such a worldly, unbiblical, that's exactly like, that's that's the idea. Almost an agnostic idea, right? There's a God out there, but he's way out there. And if he's looking at us, he's peering over the gates of heaven and he's looking from a distance. Well, the New Testament theology teaches us there's zero distance. He is not only omnipresent around us in a general sense, everywhere at one time. God, as Christians, as believers, he is in us, indwelling us. And to, to, to your point, this is not just for us to gather on Sunday. The empowering of the Spirit is when we walk out of those doors. It's Monday. It's Tuesday. It's at the job. It's at home. It's when I'm parenting my kids. It's when I'm with my spouse. It's on the baseball field. 
And and so the the spirit of God is with us all the time, and it brings us back to that thing that we've got to tear down. The idea, almost that we're real Christians when we're in the church building, and we're we're finding this right now, Dan. People are really having a hard time with the fact they cannot go to church buildings right now, and I I get it. I want to get back into the building soon too. We're not anti buildings at church scattered, but here's what I think we need to understand: buildings don't make us Christians. Buildings, it's not a holy place. It's the holy people of God because of a holy God indwelling them. And I think if we would stop and learn the lesson, the COVID-19 lesson for us as Christians would be, hey, the Spirit of God is with you in that building or outside of that building. That's the whole point, right? Absolutely. And it's also that there is absolutely nothing wrong with the church gathered and its role in the Christian life. However, what we're experiencing during COVID is uh, we did not prioritize the church scattered. And now that that's all we have, it's not enough. And -hmm. therefore, we've got to go on this spiritual journey. And in terms, Chris, that, you know, we use as a corporate leader, and I say this all the time, you know, and, and you hear this phraseology, wow, that sounds, you know, even unreligious. But right. when we're trying to reach three generations that are post-Christian and post-modern, uh, the church is not a competitive advantage. It's just not. It's a place where Christians go right. and do their thing. But totally. a Christian living their life in the power of the Holy Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit at work, where Jesus Christ is indwelling him and empowering him, then at that particular point in time, Jesus Christ is our competitive advantage. And if we move him in our lives and back in our church gathered experience as well as scattered experience to the top of the list, and uh, I just like to look at it this way. When, when we get, and I, and I watch your services and I'm not bragging on you, but I'm just saying, I I, I enjoy powerful preaching. Right. I enjoy uh, you know, glorifying worship. I can only, and I've been in your building. I enjoy the community of, of yeah, God's yeah. people together. But what we tend to do as church leaders at time, when, when we go through all that incredible stuff, then it's kind of like when we get to the ask of the day, the ask is about attending, you know, the wild game dinner. Yeah. Come to it's another like, one of our things in the like building. It's like a whiplash, you know, and I'm saying, whoa, <laughs> right. wait a minute. What, what happened? Yeah. You know, you had me right there, you know, and yeah. then the ask was attend right. something rather Come than back follow, again. follow someone. Oh, and man. I think if we make the pivot to shifting from attend something yep. to follow someone, then there yeah. will not be a great omission anymore. There'll be a great, there'll be a great so commandment. Good. And, and I, I think COVID has put a spotlight. I agree, Dan. I think COVID has put a spotlight on that. And as we kind of land the plane, you know, we talk a lot about leaders and business and church. I, I want to talk to the parents for just a moment, those of you that are tuning in. If if you have if, if there's something in you that's going, this has been horrific. My kid, I need my kid in church. He needs to be in the building. She needs to be in kids ministry. And I love kids ministry. I love student ministry. All those things are huge. But if this has been a nightmare for you, it may be that you have overvalued getting your kid into a building. And maybe it's that you haven't been leading your home spiritually. And what I have found, and and I'm putting myself in the boat with you, is that it has given me an opportunity to look again at the way I lead my home. And again, church scattered in the 21st century, it can't just be a building on Sunday. It's got to be holistic life, our whole life. That includes me at home. So I've had to ask myself, hey, am I willing to get my family together in front of a screen each week and have church? Uh, if that's hard, then we need to recheck, Dan, the way we're leading our homes. We need we need to take a look at that. 
and I just want to encourage all of you, this theology changes the game. If, it, if we really believe that we're indwelled with the Holy Spirit, then you better believe we can have church in our living room. And you better believe we can have powerful God moments reading a devotional with a, an 11-year-old boy and a 9-year-old daughter like me at my house. Man, that's, that's how this works. So this isn't a shame game. This isn't a, oh, feel bad about this. This is take a look at the possibilities of what will happen if we all, in our homes, in our churches, and in our businesses, realize that Jesus is in us, the Holy Spirit is in us, and when we gather or scatter, he's with us. He's with us. We are the church. We don't go to church. We are the church. Dan, this has been an amazing... I wish we could talk all day because we could on this chapter. Chapter yes, four to me is explosive. Hopefully, we lit the uh, lit the lighter on it a little bit to, to just give people an insight. If you want to pick up the book and, and read the whole chapter, check it out. It's available wherever great books are sold and uh, Amazon, places like that. And keep tuning into the podcast. Chapter five will be coming really soon. And in the meantime, continue to lean into being who God's called you to be, created you to be, and now we learn today, empowered you to be in your homes, in your businesses, and in your church. Till the next time, thank you for joining Church Scattered.